You're listening to the Place Northwest COP26 podcast series. A dedicated series that explores all things net zero carbon and sustainability within the built environment. Alongside some of the biggest names in property, we'll be delving into topics such as why the market is pushing net zero carbon faster than legislation. Is renovation and retrofitting better for the planet than new construction? How can we balance sustainability concerns with profit margins? And much, much more. Don't miss any future episodes. Subscribe at placenorthwest.co.uk slash subscribe or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Place Northwest COP26 podcast series. I'm your host, Dan Whelan. Today's episode is sponsored by TLT. TLT supports corporates, public institutions, and high-growth businesses on strategic and day-to-day legal needs. The firm has significant experience advising in the clean energy, digital, financial services, leisure, food and drink, public sector, real estate, and retail and consumer goods sectors. The climate crisis and the desire for a net-zero society have created headaches for landlords and tenants. There are thousands of commercial buildings across the country that need refurbishing to bring them in line with changing legislation and expectations. But who should pay for the upgrades and how is the issue affecting landlord-tenant relationships? Today, I'm joined by Joseph Meredith, legal director at law firm TLT, who is going to give us some insight into the conversations taking place between landlords and tenants and provide some possible solutions to the challenges presented by the need to upgrade the buildings they own and occupy. Joseph, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks very much for having me. So we'll we'll start with setting the scene, if you wouldn't mind. So what is driving these conversations between landlords and tenants around sustainability? So I think I think the first thing in the area that obviously uh, myself and my firm get involved in quite regularly is the uh, is the regulation in this area. There's been regulation around sustainability for some time in relation to property and particularly, I mean, a particular focus will be the minimum energy efficiency standards and the EPCs that people are now relatively used to seeing. Um, so that's that's obviously a key driver is landlords and tenants ensuring compliance with that regulation. Um, I mean, other aspects that, that are kind of driving the conversation are there's also um, the marketing considerations, I suppose, they're probably best described as, um, and the idea of people's uh, businesses, customers, um, and equally, for that matter, their prospective employees are increasingly looking to those companies um, to, 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 I suppose, align with the ethical ideals that society is, is grappling with themselves. So the increased social conscience that's developed around sustainability needs to be reflected in those businesses so that customers want to buy from them and people want to work for them. Um, and I think also there's the recognition of um, these businesses, tenants, landlords, you know, there are people behind them and it's there's an element of, it's easy to look at the um, look at it from the point of view of what's the short term, medium term gain for that company, and you know how can they make any money? But actually, you've got people behind those businesses who also want to do the right thing and are not separate from that social conscience. Um, so you know where people where people are obviously seeing um, that there is a there are various man made phenomena that can be managed better, and there's an re- increasing recognition of that. Um, you know that inevitably then translates into uh, discussions between landlords and tenants, just as it would any other. Um, you know, other parties. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you. And you mentioned EPC there and the regulation. Could you just give us an idea of what that looks like at the moment and how that's changing going forward? 
Yeah, so I think, I mean, just, just I suppose, a, a headline summary of it, but the situation is that um, on the grant of a lease of um, of commercial premises, there is a requirement that the, prem that the premises meets a certain minimum standard, uh, which is assessed. So there, is, there needs to be assessment that's carried out in relation to that property to determine how energy efficient it is. The, there is then a um, there is then a, a category that is allocated to it, or a, a level that is allocated to it. Um, currently, it's alphabetical, so it's um, a, a and beyond. But it's A to E is the is the if you like the sweet spot of that's a legitimate letting can take place with a with a premises which is between A and E. Anything beneath an E, there are um, there are problems which need to be addressed prior to a letting taking place. Um, I mean, the, the general picture around it is that it's not a static set of regulations. So it's not that it'll be all right now because we are an E. There is a recognition of the fact that as um, as the conversation on this develops, really, but that there is going to be a tightening of that regulation um, and the, the, the bar that a premises needs to reach and that a landlord and a tenant need to kind of grapple with to get the, the bar that a premises needs to reach in order to um, Pass the regulations or be suitable for letting is is going to be tightened and is going to become higher. And so, mm -hmm. landlords and tenants are obviously having to grapple with that, discuss that, and deal with it to make sure that not only are they meeting the minimum standards now, but clearly as things progress a few years down the line, um, those pr same premises stay compliant. Yeah, absolutely. So. There's buildings currently, for example, that might be at an E or a D, but they're likely going to have to do some work to to get it up to that, you know, changing level of, of, of requirement. What what sort of work are we talking about? Just to give people an idea of the practical side of it, what might need to change within a building to bring it up to those those standards? I mean, it's, so it's a whole range of things, and some of it might seem like real minutiae, but you you often find it's um, it's things like. Um, you know, changing light bulbs to LEDs, which might seem a small thing, but clearly you're talking potentially about major commercial premises where the uh, the impact of that from a sustainability perspective can be significant, as well as, I suppose, from a cost-saving perspective. Um, there's also, I mean, other things that might be similar, again, talking in those kinds of terms, it might be changes to uh, heating apparatus at the premises if the premises has a particularly inefficient um you know, whether it's a boiler, whether it's, it's some other apparatus that's related to it, there may be changes that can be made. What happens with an EPC is an EPC is produced um, together with a recommendation report. So you have the initial categorization of the business, uh, sorry, of the premises and whether that premises meets the minimum standard. You also then have a recommendation report, which which drills down into the detail of these are the changes that can be made. These are the short term, medium term and, and long term um, kind of changes that can be made and, and where you will see returns. They, they're often categorized in terms of where you will see returns in terms of money saving as well. Okay. And at the end of the day, that, that cost argument is is really important, isn't it, to ten, tenants and, and landlords. So let's, I'll give you a scenario. So let's say we've got a commercial building that is let. Um, the tenant is, you know, halfway through a 10-year lease. And it, it occurs that there's some some work that needs to be to be done to upgrade the building. Who should pay for that? The landlord or, or the tenant? Yeah, so I think, I, I mean, the, the difficulty with these, it's it's almost such a lawyerly answer, but it depends on the circumstances is always the starting point, which I suppose is where we come in. But um, so I, I think the first the first thing to look at is obviously a discussion between landlord and tenant and I suppose an assessment of who it is that derives the real benefit from those works. So just from looking at it from a very simplistic perspective, you'll often have a discussion between landlord and tenant where the circumstances the tenant will look at are, well, 
first of all, clearly, what's the cost of these works? What's the scale of these works? And what do I stand to, um, looking at it in simplistic terms, what do I stand to gain from them? So am I remaining in these premises for 20 years? And am I, in paying for these works, am I going to realise the value in them in reduced bills? Am I going to, you know, am I actually going to see the benefits? Or is this something where the landlord will retain the benefit because I might be out of these premises within three years because my lease is up or I might decide to move on or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so it, it's often the starting point is probably that parties should look at that and should should have a have a think around those kinds of um, those kinds of factors. I think once once the discussion take the initial discussions take place between landlord and tenant and there's, there's kind of an idea on on each side as to where each party sees it and if not altogether surprisingly the view that's taken is um, it's the other party that should be paying for it on both sides of that discussion then that's where you look at your lease and you look at what your lease provides for um, and what framework is there if I mean there may be specific provisions within that lease that provide for who bears the cost of certain things there may be or alternatively it may be that there is a more general framework which is you know more like a service charge arrangement that you'd see in lots you know in, in mm -hmm. clearly any number of commercial leases where um, there is provision in there that the landlord can recharge that work to the tenant or as I say, that might not be the case, and it might be that the tenant has protections to say, no, you can't do certain types of work, and if you want to do them, you're perhaps at liberty to do so, but it's not at my expense. Okay, excellent. And we'll go into it a little bit later into the sort of different mechanisms that can be used on either side to, to sort of push that those negotiations along, because I think in an ideal world, you know, that landlords benefit because the value of their asset will go up. If it's more sustainable, tenants will have to pay less in bills and they'll be in a more sustainable environment. Um, there's benefits on both sides. So I think ideal scenario would be, you know, some sort of compromise meeting in the middle, but obviously it, there's there's a reason TLT is involved in these discussions and it's to, to mediate and find a solution for everyone. So I wonder if you could give us um, a couple of examples of, of cases that you're working on just to demonstrate the nuance um, of, of this kind of negotiation, because I, I imagine, as you said earlier, every everyone is different yeah absolutely uh, i think i think one example um of a case i'm working on and it is it is definitely something that we're seeing kind of crop up as an issue on any number of matters one example of a case where i'm uh, that i'm working on is for a um it's actually a, a pubco tenant um and that tenant was looking at making arrangements entirely separate from um sustainability any kind of sustainability agenda it was all it all stemmed from um covid concession and rent concession discussions that arose um, over the last 18 months and how, you know, how the, I suppose the pain of COVID was going to be shared between landlord and tenant. Um, but it was actually as part of those discussions, the landlord looked to implement and said, well, look, if, if we're giving a concession at all, then what we're going to do is also add in this additional sustainability wording. And they um, in, were looking to essentially impose um, provisions which would allow them to carry out works to supplement the existing service charge to allow them to carry out works um, in view of a kind of sustainability agenda uh, and to recover those costs from from the tenant I mean as you can as you can probably imagine where the conversation wasn't didn't start from the point of view of sustainability that didn't go down overly well with my uh, with my client in that instance um, they were in a difficult mm -hmm. position because inevitably they wanted to get the concession sorted. So there was a, um, 
a recognition, I suppose, of the need to properly engage with the landlord on that point because they equally needed to secure the concessions that they wanted in the background. Um, so the discussion that took place was essentially around, well, from a tenant perspective, they were quite, my client was quite happy for those works to be carried out. They, you know, they, they sort of appreciate the need for sustainability. They were absolutely open to discussions, but they were obviously wanting to make sure that there were suitable checks and balances. So they weren't being held accountable for, for what would essentially, or what could potentially be uh, the landlord's significantly improving the premises and increasing the value of the premises, not for, not for my client's benefit, but for, their own benefit or the benefit of future prospective tenants and my client obviously footing the bill for that would have posed a concern so that was that was something where we were directly involved in my client was prepared to engage on the point in the first place so they were prepared to meet the landlord part way um but it was it was about making sure that the um the provisions that were agreed were provisions to um to absolutely to consult provisions to meaningfully engage going forward to keep the discussion going um but that they allowed, as I say, the checks and balances that I mentioned to make sure my client wasn't being committed to material expenditure out of nowhere. Um, and mm. if that material expenditure was to be, you know, it, it needed to be tested, there needed to be a cost benefit analysis of it, and there needed to be a cost benefit analysis that ultimately um, fell in favour of, well, as a tenant, I am going to see genuine value from this. So therefore, I am, of course, prepared to contribute towards it. Um, so it was, mm -hmm. you know, it was a tricky balance to strike, and as I say, a tricky starting point on that one. Um, but it was something where ultimately we we were in a position to get there because, as I say, that the, the principles behind it, my client was on board with. They recognised where the landlord was coming from. Um, yeah, so they were they were therefore prepared to engage and prepared to, um, to to look to be pragmatic and find solutions. But as I say, with that red line of, of course, we're not going to write you a blank check for this. Um, so that, mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's one example, and I suppose a fairly typical example of the concerns people have around sustainability. Yeah, I guess that um, the that engagement and willingness to have an open dialogue is key to these discussions because it's kind of we're in a a sort of an unprecedented situation where these conversations are happening. Sustainability is, is on the agenda and these difficult conversations need to be had. And, and the conversations, obviously, when money is concerned, are, are made even more difficult. So that open engagement and open dialogue must it makes your job easier, I suppose, if both sides are willing to, to communicate. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's nothing worse than a scenario where you have one party who is, you know, you, you have parties fundamentally at odds and not prepared to engage because they're not going to get to where they need to be. And that applies to any number, you know, clearly that applies to any provision within a lease or any provision within a property transaction. This is this is another example of that. Um, yeah, you, ne you need the parties to be prepared to engage. And there is a significant aspect of the sustainability agenda where if parties don't engage, then unfortunately they're not going to be in a position to bury their head in the sand and this not impact them. So there is there is definitely an element of meaningfully grappling with this. And, and I suppose the general advice that we'd often give is you're better dealing with this now and engaging with it now because otherwise you'll be out of step with the regulation. The, the drivers that we talked about at the beginning um, of this discussion, that they're, they're not going anywhere. Um, and you're going to get left potentially get left behind or find yourself subject to some un unintended consequences by not by not grasping the nettle now.
Mm-hmm. And your example there was obviously a landlord trying to upgrade their their property. Is it ever the other way? Does the tenant sort of come in and say to the landlord, I want to make these changes? And does it happen that way around as well? Yeah, yeah, it does. Absolutely. I'd say it's, I'd say it's um, probably my experience has been that that is the less common angle. But if anything, I would say that that is, um, it's perhaps moving the other way and that I'm, I'm seeing more of that. Um, I've got a, a sort of fair, fairly forward thinking, I would say, um, certainly in this context, um, client of mine, retail retail tenant um, client who was absolutely keen on a particular set of premises, but whose um, their brand identity is very much tied to a sustainability kind of ethical, um, you know, brand message that's key for their customers. So they they were keen that they were seen to be living and breathing that in everything that they were doing. So it was absolutely fundamental to them that their premises would, you know, be part be part of that just as every other aspect of their business was. So they were they were keen to um, and and keen and prepared to pay for works to take place. Um, and pay more for those works to be done sustainably and for these premises to be made more energy efficient and sustainable. Um, that was something which um, at the time, as I say, was, was very refreshing, although helpfully something probably seen increasingly. And it came as, I think it caught the landlord out slightly. I think the landlord perhaps at that stage wasn't particularly, um, yeah, well, wasn't particularly used to that approach from tenants. And to a degree, had an, there was an element of concern around loss of control. From the landlord because the concern is well if you tenant are coming in and making changes to these premises which differ slightly from the norm or you know aren't, aren't the usual kinds of things i'm dealing with inevitably there's that feeling of well i'm relinquishing control to a degree when i let you carry it works and it's my building you're messing around with and when your lease comes to an end um i've got other tenants in this building anyway who'll be impacted potentially in the meantime and when your lease comes to an end of new vacate i'm the one who's left with the building so it was a um it, it, that was that was a different almost turning turn the situation on its head um and we got there on that one again it was it's kind of the same message in terms of engagement the tenant was able to give chapter and verse on what they were doing why they were doing it clear indications on what the benefits were to the building as a whole to the landlord the idea that this was this is essentially us paying to move this building into the future in terms of the sustainability uh, aspects of it and the key performance indicators in that area and uh, telling the landlord well we're improving your premises here and you're getting something from this um we're absolutely prepared to cede control to you in terms of where you know you can inspect these works of course you can you can you know we'll give you the ability to keep an eye on your own building and your own asset but there needs to be a balance there and we need to be in a position to do these works and equally the other key aspect with that was because my client was looking to pay for was prepared to pay for a lot of those works up front it was also a key concern for them to not pay for them twice because in enhancing the value of the property and being prepared to do that for the landlord that of course didn't go as far as being prepared to enhance the value of the property to their own expense so they weren't going to enhance the value of the property and then end up paying for that that enhanced value at rent review a few years down the line so there were a number of things that we looked at to, to, I suppose, find that balance and make sure the landlord was happy, content that this premises was being properly looked after. And the tenant was obviously getting what they needed in terms of the sustainability works and only paying for them once. Yeah. And, and how did that play out in the end? Is that still ongoing or has that reached a reached a amicable conclusion? 
Yeah, so that one that one did reach an amicable conclusion. Um, the the kind of documents were were completed. I haven't been specifically told what the outcome of those works were and the basis that you sign the documents and then the client then goes away and actually carries out the works. But I suppose helpfully, I've not been told that there's an almighty fallout. So um, yeah, I, su- I, I suspect that no use is good news on that front. Excellent. And just on that point, let's let me present another scenario. So um, a landlord has has an asset which is available um, to to let and is approached by two potential occupiers. One that, like the client that you just spoke about, wants to make all these sustainability changes and resulting in the landlord having to cede a degree of control. And the other one is happy to just move into the building as it is, no no cost to, to anybody. Are we at the stage where, the land, where landlords in general are forward-thinking enough to go with the former option or are we still seeing you know, burying, burying of heads in, in the sand in terms of sustainability and just leasing it to the to the occupier without those sort of sustainability um, aims? I think, I think like anything, it's almost looking at looking at things in the round. So I think um, there will be landlords out there who are um, who recognise the value of a tenant who comes in and is very amenable to sustainability works. There will, you know, that will be something that I suppose landlords may take into account as a positive for them. I think in most instances, it's probably the case that landlords will, um, the key driver for them will be, well, who can I get in to pay rent as quickly as possible? And that's entirely understandable. I think I think there's a balance to be struck there. I don't think you could uh, I don't think you could say that you know a prospective tenant who talks a good game on sustainability is who we should be going for every time. There are obviously any number of other kind of harsh realities and economic factors that need to be borne in mind. Um, but I think it's increasingly becoming a consideration that landlords would. Um, probably appreciate tenants who are coming to have that discussion with them, just as you're hopefully, we're hopefully getting to a point where tenants are expecting landlords to raise that with them and sustainability with them at an early stage as well. And, you know, that it's something, again, to meaningfully engage on at the at the outset, I suppose, of a, of a relationship between parties, rather than something that's perhaps in the past been more of an afterthought. Okay, excellent. And let's drill down a little bit then into the the legal and and lease mechanisms available to landlords and tenants that could be enacted in the case of a of a standoff in terms of you know upgrades to make a building more sustainable. Um, you mentioned service charges uh, earlier on. Can you elaborate a little bit more about about what the different devices are that you can um, advise your your clients to use? So the primary device within a lease where you see sustainability dealt with is uh, within the service charge. And when interpreting a lease in response to a query around what can a a landlord or a tenant do, um, that's usually the first place to look. Seeing whether the landlord has scope to carry out works to a building, either specifically referencing sustainability or more generally relating to improvements and whether the cost of these can be passed on to the tenant. Clearly, from from a landlord perspective, you're looking to keep those rights as open as possible. And then tenant side, you're obviously wanting to to limit that with costs to be reasonable uh, and other measures to kind of put checks and balances, as I mentioned before, um, to make works proportionate um, and to make sure that there's some kind of cost benefit analysis showing the works are genuinely for tenant benefit. Um, In addition, I suppose, to um, service charge regimes, what you sometimes see um, and probably increasingly see really uh, environmental and sustainability provisions being dealt with separately from the main service charge. Um, and I think that's possible because the service charge is at times difficult enough to uh, negotiate in, a, in isolation. So 
adding in environmental matters is um, into that melting pot has made it more difficult. So they've perhaps been separated out. Um, but the kinds of provisions you'd see there would uh, would often be sorts of things that require engagement between the parties. Um, and that would be either, um, you know, you might see that there are meetings that take place at fixed intervals on certain estates where there's a particular focus around sustainability. Um, you might see that there are more ad hoc obligations, I suppose, to require the parties to contribute to discussions as and when they arise and to make meaningful contributions. From a landlord perspective, what these provisions will obviously again often lead to is the landlord being in a position to carry out works at the tenant cost. Um, and the tenant side, it's similar to the service charge. You, you, you'd want to be pushing for uh, that to only take place after clear consultation with the tenants and an agreement as well of the tenants, particularly um, where we're talking about potentially major capital expenditure that the tenant obviously doesn't want to be on the hook for unless they've agreed to be. Um, and then once those kinds of provisions are agreed and once there's an outcome from those discussions, um, it might be that you reflect what's been agreed, just I mean, just in correspondence or otherwise, um, you sometimes get some kind of memorandum of understanding um, that's agreed between the parties and potentially attached to the lease so that the parties can refer back to it and use that to govern the um, discussions going forwards. Aside from that, another area that's worth considering um, in relation, particularly in relation to larger estates or centres, is, um, is, is a tenant handbook um, or tenant regulations which might sit separately from the lease and which the landlord will often use to give it a degree of flexibility outside the main terms of the lease where it wants to be in a position to um, impose requirements on the tenant but it doesn't want to have to be going in to vary the lease every single time it wants to impose those. Um, so the landlord will therefore update the regulations throughout the term of the lease. Again, I mean, from the landlord side of things, the landlord wants this to be as comprehensive as possible. Um, and to have, I suppose, a as free a right as possible to, to make those changes uh, and impose those changes on a tenant. Obviously, from a, from a tenant perspective, what a tenant wants and needs to make sure of is that it's not caught out by anything um, and it's not in a situation where anything is introduced by the back door um, by a change to the, those regulations or to that tenant handbook that imposes a condition on the tenant that it wouldn't have been prepared to agree to at the, um, at the grant of the lease. Uh, and then next, I suppose the other area to look at or device such as, is, um, is the tenant works provisions and the alterations provisions. And what uh, initially I suppose that's looking at what works the landlord can object to and what requirements regarding um, sustainability the tenant can be required to meet as part of any works that it's looking to carry out. From the landlord's perspective, the landlord's obviously wanting to look at um, control um, and certainly wants to ensure that there's no deterioration in sustainability which might potentially have the kinds of regulatory consequences that we were talking about earlier uh, might impact on the value of the premises beyond the term of the lease uh, and obviously the landlord making sure it's protecting its position there and then tenant side um, the tenant will obviously want the flexibility to be able to adapt and introduce measures over the course of a lease term, which might potentially have a significant impact on its business. So whether by reducing running costs, whether enhancing, uh, del delivering that enhanced marketing message that we've spoken about. Um, but the tenant on the flip side of that doesn't want to be bound by any kind of fixed requirement either. I wouldn't expect in most instances to be, um, to be delivering best in class kind of sustainability standards as part of any pre precondition for carrying out works. 
Um, and the reason for that is because whilst the tenant may ultimately decide that that's worthwhile and that it wants to do that and wants to introduce, clearly there may be circumstances where actually that's you know unnecessarily costly and disproportionate to uh, to what the tenant's actually trying to achieve. So it's again it's a case of the parties being aware of those different areas and I suppose being being alive to them, and then making sure that they are kind of understanding them well enough and being well well enough advised on them that they're not signing up to anything that catches them out further down the line and i think that's that ultimately is i suppose the main point in terms of speaking about devices or the way that these things get dealt with in a lease you will often find that there are multiple ways in any one lease it's not that unfortunately in some respects it's not that you have a standalone sustainability clause which kind of comprises all relevant points and which we can easily tick through and mark off it's it, it's recognizing that this issue can cut right through a lease so you need to be well advised on um on on sustainability and, and sort of to have somebody there to guide you if you're not aware already of the various instances um at which you know this the, the sustainability agenda, if you like, needs to be needs to be borne in mind, and where those considerations come into play to make sure you're not being burnt by any, anything further down, for, you know, two three years into your lease term. Okay, excellent. And is it ever a case of simply the landlord saying to the tenant, "We're going to spend X amount on upgrading the building, and accordingly, we're going to raise your rent"? And how does that go down if that's the case? Generally, um. I, so I suppose a landlord wouldn't necessarily have the um, immediate ability to do that and just impose that in, in well, in, in any lease really that we're dealing with. It would be, it, it might be that a landlord has the ability to do that at rent review and to carry out works. But if, I think there is generally a feeling that if a landlord has honestly improved a premises in such a way that that, the, the impact of that at rent review and when the rent is reassessed after whether you know usually five years but whatever period it might be if the landlord has carried out works that have genuinely improved that building in such a way that that would increase rent well i mean that the rent's only increasing because it's probably um the rent's only only increasing in those circumstances because it's recognized that the tenants are getting something more um, than they were perhaps otherwise getting so i think i think in those circumstances that Whilst I fully recognise that lots of tenants might not like it, the, the start the starting point might be well if if there are real improvements here that have been made and you're getting a better deal and there is provision for the rent to be reassessed on that basis, then um, you know it is legitimate for those for that to have an impact and for and for rent to increase, albeit you would hope that most landlords aren't kind of daft enough to create issues with the tenants in that way without. Be very clearly consulting with them on works that are being carried out and you know it's again we're talking here in terms of a lease regardless of what you can do in a lease specific to the terms and that ultimately might be what you what you look to rely upon but you've you've got long-term arrangements between two parties where it's in everybody's interests that there's an open and, and an ongoing dialogue on all points you know it's it's all well and good saying I can do this because this lease tells me to do so but if you suddenly then have a problem tenant on your hands or a problem landlord on your hands um, for that matter for the remainder of the lease term it doesn't necessarily make a great deal of commercial sense hmm. yeah absolutely and you know going forward I, I assume from, from what you've said at, at the moment, it sounds like these discussions generally end amicably and there is a balance struck and no one feels sort of like they've lost out, uh, you know, especially. Do you see that continuing going forward or do you think um, things will become more fractious as this issue of sustainability really 
ramps up? I suppose the way I'd say it, you will you will run into issues inevitably with changes in regulation, changes in circumstances. There will be issues, but I think most landlords and tenants recognise, um, just as any parties to a commercial transaction recognise, you're often better off not falling out. It's often better dealt with in a more kind of collaborative way, um, and you know almost allow other people to have the disputes and then you follow the precedent that emerges from that in terms of well this is how this this now works because disputes tend to be um tend to be costly both in terms of management time and literally costly in terms of in terms of i suppose legal fees as much as anything else um the whether i see this issue becoming more uh, more prevalent i think i think actually landlords and tenants are probably becoming more sophisticated in terms of their understanding and there are more landlords and tenants who are putting sustainability as a more central pillar to what they you know what when they when they're dealing with headed terms it's something that they want to address at the outset which is is definitely a good thing I don't think that that will necessarily translate into more disputes. I think hopefully, I would hope that the opposite is true and that actually landlords and tenants, as they become more au fait with these concepts and as they sort of see how these things play out in property transactions, they um, that that dialogue is, is all the more constructive and has, you know, the, the results are all the more positive in terms of coming to an agreement. And of course, we're not talking about just sustainability in isolation. I think that's the key thing. There will always be, you know, this idea of a winner and a loser from a negotiation. There is a um, a landlord who wins on one point as they see it or, or loses on another. There's, there's always the next point. It's a case of a balance of a much, a much wider commercial relationship where if you give on one point, you'd, you'd absolutely expect or hope and, and hope to be able to uh, be able to take on another one to find that that sweet spot where both landlord and tenant are generally happy with a commercial arrangement, um, and you know happy to sign on the dotted line on that basis. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very good point. You know, there's so much up for grabs in in a discussion, so many things to negotiate that you know hopefully what we'll see going forward is that sustainability. Uh, question being one thing that doesn't really have to be negotiated much and both parties agree that the best way forward is is the sustainable way. Uh, so a, a good positive uh, point to end on. Um, thank you very much, Joseph, for your insight. Um, fascinating look into how the sustainability question is, is impacting those relationships between landlords and, and tenants. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. That's all we've got time for on today's podcast. We hope you can join us for the next instalment of The Place Northwest. COP26 series. And if you would like to learn more about TLT, please visit tltsolicitors.com.